Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. Our church's vision is to have a passion for God and compassion for people. We hope that the teachings in this podcast will encourage you as you seek to follow Christ and grow in your faith. Now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning, Ritman Grace. It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Clark, and I'm the pastor here. And if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, I'd love to meet you, and I'd love to meet your family after service. And uh, those of you, many of you that I've already met, love to just catch up with you and uh, just see how you're doing. I uh, just want to highlight something that David mentioned a little bit ago during the announcements. Uh, we did start uh, kick off our uh, life group that kind of supplements what we talk about on the weekend service here, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And we'd love for you to come, be a part of that. Uh, if you want to come and just sit in and listen, that's okay. If life group, small group style uh, of learning isn't really kind of your flavor or your style, we also have a wonderful Sunday school class that meets at the exact same time in our chapel over here. And uh, our teacher does an excellent job uh, teaching God's Word. So we just want to invite you to either one of those. Um, if you're coming here to the 1030 a.m. service, uh, we love you. That's awesome. Uh, but you're getting less than 50% of what we have to offer you. So we just want to encourage you to, you know, maybe step out, take a risk, get plugged into one of those opportunities outside of the 1030. So, but either way, we love you. We're glad you're here. Uh, last week, we began a brand new journey on the Sermon on the Mount. And we want to continue that journey as we come to a really famous metaphor. It's a picture that many of us are probably familiar with if you grew up in the church. It's this picture that Jesus paints of salt and light. Salt and light. And we observed last week, if you were here, you remember the Sermon on the Mount was preached to Jesus' disciples in the midst of crowds. And so this is a unique sermon because it intends for those who are disciples of Jesus, but it's also for those that are perhaps listening in, that are not yet his disciples. They're also going to be invited in. They're going to be challenged and they're going to be provoked by the things that Jesus is saying. So it gives, it's, it's a sermon given to his disciples, but like I said, it's also intended for a broader audience, similar to what we do here on a Sunday morning. And the focus of Jesus' teaching has to do with the kingdom of God. And the paradox that we see, not just on the Sermon on the Mount, but on much of Jesus' teachings, what you tend to see is that on the one hand, a disciple of Jesus is no different from anyone else. But on the other hand, a disciple of Jesus is completely different from everyone else. And unless we understand this unique paradox, it's kind of hard to enter into what Jesus is saying. So let me explain what I'm talking about. On the one hand, a disciple of Jesus is no different than anyone else. And here's what I mean when I say that. We know this because of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that God's grace is what saves you. It's what changes you. It's what gets a hold of you, so to say. And the idea that God saves undeserving sinners by grace it's not like we got our act together and cleaned ourselves up and got ourselves acceptable to God, but rather God in His grace saves undeserving sinners. So in that sense, a disciple of Jesus is no different from anyone else. 
And so what that means is this. When we share and we, we proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus to people, we do it from a place of common ground. We do it from a place of shared brokenness and shared humanity, shared undeservingness. And we share the gospel as those who are poor in spirit, like we talked about last week when we spoke of the Beatitudes. Here's the way I like to say it. We are beggars helping other beggars to know where to find bread. So on one hand, a disciple of Jesus is no different from anyone else. And yet, at the same time, a disciple of Jesus is radically different from everyone else. The people of God are distinctly different from the people of the world. And here's why. Because God is completely different from the world. And we don't become a Christian by believing the right facts about God. Rather, we become a Christian by union with Christ through faith. It's not what we believe, like the right data. It's not believing the right data. It's that we're spiritually united with the Lord Jesus by faith. And so because God is different from the world, a disciple of Jesus is different from the world. And that differentness of God is reflected in their differentness. And there's a set-apartness that the people of God have from the world because of the life of God that's in them. And the reason that this is worth mentioning is because we're going to see Jesus draw really sharp distinctions between his disciples and the world. And he's going to say his disciples are like this, and then he's going to say the world is like this. And we need to hear that with the proper understanding of the gospel so that we're not misinterpreting what Jesus is saying. He's not saying these people are better than these people. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what you hear, what do you hear him say is that I am different from the world and therefore my people are different from the world. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the gospel of Matthew once again. Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, and if you're following along in the Bibles in those chairs, you're going to find that on page 683. And we'll also have the words up on the screen for you if you want to follow along that way as well. So in Matthew chapter 5, breaking in at verse 13, here's what Jesus has to say. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus provides us with two statements of fact here. And what are they? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And notice he doesn't say, you should be salt or you should be light. He says, you are this. This is a statement of fact. It's a statement of the nature of things. So what we have is identity before behavior. 
identity before behavior. He's going to get to, here's how I want you to live in the world, but here is what is true of you. You need to understand that first. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And in making these statements about his disciples, Jesus is also making a statement about the nature of the world. If it's true that the disciples are the salt of the earth, then in saying that, Jesus is also saying that the world is corrupt, that the world is decaying. Obviously, salt can add flavor. I love salt. I don't think they're going to need any sort of preservatives for my body when I go to be with Jesus. Let's just put it that way. But salt not only adds flavor, but the primary use of salt in New Testament times in times of antiquity was preservation. Salt was the agent that was applied to meat to keep it from spoiling. And that's the primarily how they would understood the function of salt back in the first century. That's different for us today, obviously, because we have this amazing thing called the refrigerator, right? something that I really like a lot. The metaphor is a little bit lost on us, isn't it? So when Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, he's also making a statement for the world needs to be salted. The world is decaying. The world is corrupt. And likewise, by telling his disciples that they are the light of the world, he's also saying at the same time, the world is dark. And it's in need of light. So you need to see Jesus drawing these distinctions between Here's how you are as my disciples. But at the same time, here's what's true about the world that you live in. You are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. He starts with those two statements of fact. And Jesus also makes two common sense observations. He says, salt that's not salty is useless. And light that is hidden is also useless. Jesus is not saying anything here that takes a ton of interpretation to figure out. He's saying common sense would tell you that if you light a light, this is mind-blowing, I know, but if you light a light, the reason you do that is because you want some light in the room, right? No one lights a light and then hides it under a blanket. That's not the point of what light is for. And so notice he says, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In other words, salt that is not salty is not useful for anything. And in the same way, in verse 15, neither do people light a lamp under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In other words, no one lights a light because they want darkness. They light a light because, you guessed it, they want light. Common sense observations about the nature of salt and the nature of light. He tells us why we have these things and why we use these things. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's pressing these metaphors, these images, in order to make a point. And what's the point that Jesus is making here? The point he's making is that the church exists for the world. Let me explain what I mean by that. The purpose of salt is to salt something. The purpose of light is to give light to something that is dark. The purpose of the church is to be a 
light in the world. God has lit a lamp called his people, and the function of the lamp, the reason God has put it there, is that it might give light. Jesus hasn't called us as his disciples so that we could keep the light of the gospel to ourselves. He's called us as his disciples so that we can exist in the world to give light. By reflecting his character, by proclaiming his gospel, by being a representation of him. And when we start to get what Jesus is saying here, it begins to change the way that we think about church. Church is not a place where Christians go to get encouraged, to get fed, and to be part of an institution. Church is the people of God existing as light in the world. The church is to be a people of God as a city on a hill that they might give light to the world, that they might be in contact with the world and that they might function as light in the world. The reason the church exists is to display and to declare who God is to the world. The church exists for the world. The church does not exist for itself. It exists for the glory of God in the world. So if you think about this particular image that Jesus is using and you apply that to the communities that we live in, Here's what we are longing for. Here's why we exist as a people. Two ways. Ready? One is that we would be a lighthouse. And how does a lighthouse function? A lighthouse is a point of light that we can be, uh, it can be seen from anywhere around. If you've ever seen a lighthouse, you know that. It stands apart as a beacon, as something that gives light. And it can be seen from everywhere. So as we think about Ritman Grace, in a broad sense, as a church, we want to be the kind of church here in Rittman. We want to be a place that exists as a beacon of light, where the gospel is known, where people think of Rittman Grace Brother Church, and they think, man, that's a place where Jesus is worshipped, where Jesus is loved, and where they believe the Bible, and it's good to have them in the city. It's good that they are in this community. That's, that would be such a win for us. There's a sense in which we are spreading the light of the gospel broadly, but what's the problem with the lighthouse? The problem is that it can't get down into all the alleyways and all the nooks and the crannies and the street corners of all the communities. It casts a light, but the light is broad. And so we want to be a lighthouse, but we also, secondly, we want to have communities of light, communities that exist in neighborhoods, in pockets of communities, all throughout Wayne County, Medina County, that light up ground levels that starts, all that starts with us first praying for our neighbors, for our friends and our family members, our coworkers, that God would give us a no-brainer moment to speak the gospel to them. And find ways of serving them and loving them and living on mission for the glory of God. Jesus says the whole purpose of a light is to be seen. The purpose of light is to be useful. The purpose of a church is to exist for the world, for the glory of God in the world. So Jesus gives us these two statements of fact, and then these two common sense observations about salt and light, and then he gives us one command, one imperative. Notice he says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I want us to see how this imperative, this command, flows out of our identity. 
Okay, so, so Jesus says, you are the light, right? Not that you should be the light or that you should be salt. He says, you are, you are the light. So let your light shine. In other words, if something is true of you, right? Something, this is true of you, therefore live in this way. So let's analyze this command, this imperative. He says, let your light shine. And what is your light? It's the light of Christ within you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have the light of Christ within you. Jesus is not saying, let the light of your internal beauty shine forth. Or let the light of your amazing charisma be shown in the city of Rittman. He's saying, let the light of Christ, the light of the world that lives in you, let that emanate from you. Let your light shine. It's not the light that's in yourself. It's the light that is Christ in you. But notice, he says, you're not to let that light shine before others. Or you are to let that light shine before others. But here's why. So that they may see something. And what is it that they're supposed to see? Your good deeds. Did you catch that? So listen, people can't see the gospel. People can't see your theological certainty. People cannot see what you believe. What they see is your good deeds. What they see is your good works. What they see is what comes out of you because of your belief in the gospel. What they see is the implications, the expression of the gospel that flows out of you. And here's why that matters. Because virtue matters, and that's why holiness matters, and that's why living a righteous life matters. The way we live matters. It would be great if how you live didn't matter, and that all people saw in you was a really orthodox gospel somehow. Somehow. I don't know how that would happen. By some magical formula, they just look at you, and the gospel came together in their mind, but that's not how it works, is it? what they see is they see your life. And so if the only witness people had was your life, what would that say? What would they conclude about God? The point of the question is that they are concluding something about God. Based on your life and how you exist and how you live, people are making conclusions about God. Are they making the right conclusions about God? What are they seeing as they see your deeds, as they see your works? Are they seeing good works that would cause them to give glory to your Father in heaven? Here's what's so interesting. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 with me for a minute. This is a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get to it in a few weeks, but just look at verse 1 of chapter 6 real quickly. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So in Matthew chapter 5, you have Jesus saying, let your light shine in such a way that they see your good works. And then in Matthew chapter 6, now don't practice your righteousness in order to be seen by people. What's going on here? Which is it? What is Jesus doing? Well, it's not that Jesus forgot what he said a few minutes ago. He's actually framing out a paradigm here. And why is he doing that? What is he getting at? Here's the point, ready? Your motives matter. Your motives matter. Why do you do what you do? Why you do what you do matters. 
The external action is the same in both cases. Good works, practicing righteousness, practical virtue that's expressed in your life. But in one case, you're doing it to be seen by others. And in the other case, you're doing it so that they might glorify God. One is about my glory and one is about God's glory. And this is why the Sermon on the Mount is so penetrating because Jesus is not happy with just your external obedience. He goes deeper. Jesus is after your heart. And he's cutting down to the inner motivations that drive you. He's getting down underneath. What is the foundation of virtue in your life? Why do you do what you do? Jesus says that that matters. It matters whether you do good works to be seen by others or to glorify your Father in heaven. So the question for you, the question for me this morning, is why do you do good works? Why do you do good deeds? If you just think over the course of this last week, right? So think, why did I serve in children's ministry last week? Why did I buy lunch for my coworker last week? Why did I volunteer to babysit those kids or to give that person a ride or to help the neighbor with their yard? Was it so that I might glorify God or was it so that I could be seen by others? In all honesty, I think most of us, by and large, probably were not saying to ourselves, man, I hope people see this. I hope somebody's watching me rake this yard for my neighbor. I think that's too easy. Normally, that doesn't show up that way. For most of us, the way we do things to be seen by others is more subtle than that. And it's not like we're telling ourselves, man, I hope people see this. So let me try to do the best I can to show you how this longing to be seen by others is a little bit more subtle than that. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us have done something out of guilt. For example, man, this person asked me to help them move or to babysit their dog while they're out of town or to give them a ride somewhere. And so we think to ourselves, well, I don't really want to, but if I don't, they're going to be disappointed in me and I'm probably going to feel guilty, so I'll do it. I'm sure I'm the only one who has ever felt that way who has ever experienced that, I know. On the surface, it's like we're doing this because it's good, it's a noble thing to do, because if I don't, this person is going to disapprove of me. But let me ask you, is that about God or is that about them? That's about them, isn't it? I'm doing that to be seen by them. In other words, in order to not be disapproved or to not have them be disappointed in me. The motive of my actions is so that they will see me and that they will have a certain response. And Jesus looks at that and he says, that's not what it means to be salt and light. That's not why I came to bring you into. The kingdom of God didn't come so that you could do good out of guilt. Here's another way of practicing our righteousness to be seen by others. How many of us, I wonder, have done something good because it makes us feel good about ourselves? In other words, you have an ideal kind of person that you want to be. A virtuous, upstanding, and socially involved kind of person. And so you're doing something good, not because you want the approval of others, but rather it's because you have an idea of the person that you want to be. And then what happens when people notice that? People begin to compliment that. Like, man, that was really great of you to ring the bell at the Salvation Army or to bring food to the server. But we all know what happens, right? 
We all know what happens. We feel a sense of validation rising up in us, right? And we think, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm a good citizen. I am living up to my own ideals. It's good to hear that validated. But the question for you and me this morning is, is that about God or is that about you? That's about you, isn't it? Doing good works is to be, doing good works to be seen by others, not in a way where you want their approval, but rather in a way where their seeing validates your own sense of self-righteousness. Jesus says, that's not what it means to be salt and light. My kingdom did not come so that you could be good out of self-righteousness. He says, let your, shine, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God, glorify your Father in heaven. How? That's the question now. How do you do that? What does that look like? Quite simply, we do it by getting out of the way. Think about it this way. This is an interesting way to think about this. How many of you saw that Harvest Moon the other day? Pretty cool, right? I could not get a good picture on my phone for the life of me, but it was cool. So think about it this way. There are two lights that govern our existence on Earth, the sun and the moon. One has light in itself. One is a source of light. The other merely reflects the light. When you do good works to be seen by others, when you do good works out of the motive that they might be seen, that they might recognize you, validating the kind of person that you want to be, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to be the sun. And that's not what you were meant to be. You were meant to be the moon. The light of the moon is glorious because the light of the sun is glorious. The moon gives light by receiving and by reflecting the light of the sun. And that is exactly how the gospel works in the heart of a disciple of Jesus. Your good works, my good works, are receiving and reflecting the light of the goodness of the God and the gospel. Here's how the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, this is referring back to creation, back to the God who created the sun and the moon in the first place, the God who did that, who made light in the universe in the first place, Paul says, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is saying here? God has given light. God has shown in our hearts, he has opened the eyes of our hearts to see and perceive light. And notice what that light is. It's the light of the knowledge of God's glory. God is glorious whether you see it or not. The beauty of the gospel is that he gives the light of the knowledge of his glory. He gives you the ability to perceive and to apprehend his glory. And where do you see his glory? Where do we know his glory most clearly? Paul says it's in the face of Christ. The person and the work of Jesus is the clearest place where we see the glory of God. And that sensing and that apprehending changes us. 
We're made to let that light shine. We're made to receive and to reflect the light of the knowledge of God's glory in Christ Jesus. The light that ought to be pouring forth from your life in a life of virtue, a life of gratitude, a life of obedience, and a life of mission. Is the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And the more we behold and know the richness of who Christ is, the more that reflects and is emanated in our lives. And so for some of you here this morning, you're here and that light has just not turned on for you yet. Right? That light has not turned on in your soul yet. You're on the outside looking in at Jesus. And you don't get what's so amazing about Him, what's so glorious about Him. And how is He the one who shows the glory of God? You might think. Listen, if that's you... I think part of the reason why you're here watching this message online this morning is because God is beginning to reveal himself to you. To turn on that light, to give the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Others of you this morning are watching online. Your knowledge and your apprehension, your seeing of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. If we're being honest, it's just gotten kind of dull. And it's like we haven't washed our windows, so to say, in like a hundred years. There's a dullness in your soul. There's a lack of perception, a lack of perception of a lack of apprehension of seeing the glory of God in Christ. And again, let me just say, if that's you this morning, if, if that's where you find yourself, we need to ask ourselves this question. We need to wrestle this question to the ground. And the question is this, what is it that is dulling your perception of the light? What is it that is keeping you from the full sunlight of the glory of God in Christ? For some, maybe perhaps it's unrepentant sin. For others of us, perhaps it's apathy. Maybe it's indifference. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's unbelief. There's all kinds of things that can dull your spiritual senses and keep you from seeing the glory of Christ. And that's what we are meant to see. God has given you light that you might see the glory of God in the face of Christ. So you might be thinking to yourself, so is what Jesus is saying here is that every time someone sees my good works, you know, they say, hey, thanks for mowing my lawn. Thanks for plowing my driveway. Do I have to say to them, oh, no, man, no, no, it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. Thanks for babysitting my kids. Do I have to say, no, it's just the Holy Spirit. I'm just a vessel. The Spirit was working in me. That would be kind of awkward. There are people that are like that, but you don't want to be one of those people. So how does it work? What does it actually practically look like to live this out in a real way? How do people see our good works and then see the glory of God? We have to go back to where we started at the beginning of our time together. A disciple of Jesus is absolutely different from the world because God is different from the world. And here's the beauty of that. The kind of good works that are produced by the gospel are utterly different than any kind of good works. They have a different quality about them. They have a different character about them. The virtue that's produced by the gospel has a different quality to it and ultimately leads people to recognize God as its source. So if we are truly apprehending the beauty of Christ and living in a world that reflects that, that truly reflects that, 
people will see and they will know the glory of God. They will ultimately recognize your works as having a different source, a different origin, and a different quality about them. So here's Jesus' commission and command to you and I this morning. If we're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, he commands us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we just thank you for your insight into the motives of our hearts this morning. And Lord, we just thank you that that you're after our hearts, that you want to change us from the inside out. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be the kind of people where our good works cause people to look to you. And God, we recognize that there's always more good works for us to do. We can't do everything. We can't do nothing. We have to do something. So allow those good works to point people to you. And thank you, Lord, that we don't look to our goodness, but to Christ and to his goodness. We ask that you allow the light of Christ to shine at people's hearts this morning, maybe even for the first time, whether it's someone here or watching online this morning, God. And those of us who know you, those of us here who um, already are disciples of you, we follow you not perfectly, but increasingly as your disciples. Lord, we ask that you would allow your light to shine through us so that we may bring more glory to your name. We ask all these things for our good, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our church's mission is to follow God share his truth, and be examples of the love of Jesus to all. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website at www.rittmangrace.org or drop by anytime for one of our in-person Sunday morning worship services. Once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Rittman Grace Podcast.